Welcome to Season 2 of the Practicing Presence Podcast, where spiritual formation is fueled through a variety of practices rather than a single prescriptive time of devotion, where we discuss different spiritual practices that help us be more present with God, others, and ourselves. What's going on, practitioners? What's up, friends? How we doing? I hope all of you are doing good. We are recording on Super Bowl Sunday. Gotta get that work done. We gotta get that work work done. Currently, there are 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Yes, we have the game on while we're recording. <laughs> um, I, I can't believe you thought we wouldn't. Yeah, we absolutely have the game on while we're recording. Um, actually, this isn't the first time this has happened either. No, we've also had to record in the middle of some Baylor games one time. Yeah. Um, anyways, so we are talking still about Inspired, but this time we're discussing fish stories yeah and this is a pretty fascinating chapter because really if you want to know the line for someone about whether like i say all the time i'm a pretty liberal christian yeah that's not true i'm liberal for my circle but i'm not liberal like as liberal as they come and usually that kind of line you're looking for the determining factor of that is one of two questions do you believe Jesus was an actual person? Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, do you believe that God does miracles? Yeah. There are people who self-identify as Christians, and what do I always tell you? Who am I to say whether or not they are um, on something like this? But there are people who still self-identify as Christians that do not believe Jesus was like a divine person. Mm-hmm. They believe he's a real person. Yeah. They don't believe he's a divine person. They don't believe he's a son of God. And they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe the resurrection actually happened. Right. Um, they believe in some kind of spiritual resurrection or something. But this is the kind of difference between like the most liberal of Christians and moderate slash conservative Christians is whether or not miracles can happen. Mm. It's one of the defining factors. And so Rachel begins her chapter and what she, the way she opens is she's at some kind of event um, at a church um, for clergy, for Episcopal clergy, which if you don't know, Episcopal is categorically or much more left Mm -hmm. of center than anywhere else. And so, um, a story, she's asking people about her favorite, their favorite Bible stories. And somebody brings up the story with the fish and the coin in his mouth. And that's a story, if you don't remember, they have to pay their taxes to the Roman government. Mm-hmm. So Jesus says, hey, go out, catch this fish, you'll find the money in its mouth. Yeah. Peter goes, catch the fish, money's in the mouth, pays the taxes, story over. Really strange story. I mean, not only is it just a strange story, but also, like, t- 
what's the point? I, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I'm not real. <laughs> what's sure. the lesson here, Jesus? Not real sure what the purpose. You, you always going to provide my tax money in the mouth of a fish? Yeah. Some kind of miraculous way you always going to come with my tax money? Because yeah. right now I'm paying about 24%. I'd love some help. <laughs> <laughs> just just go. We'll, we'll hang out at the doghouse and we'll just fish off the back porch. Yeah, like, uh, Just go ahead. You know, yeah. At this point, I take cryptocurrency. I don't know how you get it to me, but I'll take it however, right? Uh, the story is quite strange. Yeah, like it's a weird DNA, story. It, it's really, and it's like, if you're just reading, mm -hmm. it's easy to ask the question like, really? Come on, bro. Yeah. Actually, probably what happened was Peter Wynn caught that fish, sold that fish, and the money he got from it paid for the taxes. Right. I'm not actually saying that, but I'm saying like it's easy to approach the text and go, yeah, I think that's probably more plausible. Mm -hmm. um, Other than finding it literally in the fish's mouth, but yes, yeah. Um, so actually, she has a great story. Um, from her own life about this, and I'm going to read it. She says, Now, I hail from Dayton, Tennessee, home of Lake Chickamauga, where a few years ago an angler named Gabe Keen landed a 15.3-pound largemouth bass. Yeah, that's a huge bass, mm -hmm. by the way, shattering a 60-year-old state record. Our fishing here is legendary drawing thousands of anglers for tournaments every summer and flushing our local economy with much-needed cash. I've seen people pull catfish out of those muddy waters that would give Leviathan a scare. I've also heard more than a few fish stories in my time. Dine at a local restaurant during bass season, and you'll pick up all sorts of tall tales about the one that broke the line and got away, or better yet, the one that ate the one that broke the line and got away. Sometimes the miraculous moments in scripture strike me as these kinds of fish stories, colorful exaggeration of events that may or may not have transpired as recounted. How do you feel about her saying that? It can make me uncomfortable, but like in a weird way, I understand. Does it make sense? Yeah, it, um, it makes yeah. me real uncomfortable to hear her say that. Yeah, it makes me real uncomfortable to hear her say that. Um, but here's the other thing. I'm also a good reader of my Bible. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the Old Testament, I was told that the Israelite people obliterated, wiped out, killed every single person yep. from several different tribes. Mm -hmm. They did not. Because they show up again in the story three books later. Yeah. Just weird form of like ego and like exaggeration. It's like yeah. embellishment. Yeah. Um, I've also read my Bible as a piece of literature and realized that sometimes in order to make a story work and happen the way that I want to tell it, I have to embellish and create a few things. For instance, Gospel of Matthew. Five major discourses in the Gospel of Matthew. Every major event in the Gospel of Matthew happens on the side of a mountain. Why? 
because Matthew wants to prove to you that Jesus is a new Moses. Right. And all of Moses' important moments happened, happened on, on Mount, Mount Sinai. Yeah. So did all of those things actually happen on a mountain, or is it okay for an author to put the metaphor or motif of a mountain in there to show you a parallel, to tell you a story? Right. I think that's the question that Rachel's asking. She's using miracles to ask it, mm -hmm. but what she's really asking is, is it okay if Scripture embellishes? Yeah. Is it okay if we shouldn't be reading Scripture literally yeah. all the time? Right. That's the question she's asking here. And if you would have asked me, five years ago, no, not five, ten years ago, I'd have told you no way. Yeah. There's absolutely no way that's okay. Now I would probably tell you it's absolutely not okay if you think the Bible is that way. I would like, I think it, it does far more damage to the way a person views God in the world to read the Bible 100% literally than yeah. it does to think that it's embellished slightly. Right. So, remember earlier when I was talking about the difference between liberal and conservative Christians is how they feel on the resurrection? Right. This is on page 178. She says, I once attended a lecture given by a Christian theologian who rejected the notion of the physical resurrection of Jesus in favor of a spiritualized interpretation wherein Jesus simply rose from the dead in his disciples' hearts. Just as Jesus lives on in our collective memory, he argued, so friends and family do not literally rise from the dead, but rather gain eternal life whenever we honor their legacy. How do you feel about that? Very, very, very uncomfortable with that. Yeah? Okay. Denies First Corinthians fifteen. Oh, uh, well, he wouldn't say so because no. it's still a spiritual resurrection, right? But, but you need the physical. Different conversation. It is a different conversation. I just you you haven't read this chapter yet. So I have not. I, that makes me very uncomfortable. After the lecture, I turned to the person next to me, a black person who had been fidgeting anxiously throughout the hour, and asked what he thought. If the resurrection is about getting raised in memories and hearts, he said. It's not very good news for me or my people. What does spiritual resurrection mean for all the brothers who died on slave ships and all the women lying in unmarked plantation graves? Where's their justice? Where's their liberation? If there's one thing historic Christianity is clear on, he said, it's that bodies matter to God. Revolution without bodies isn't a revolution. Hmm. I agree with him. I actually think he's right. and yeah. But this is also why I am the biggest proponent of contextualized theology. I don't think liberation theology can really be preached by anyone that hasn't been oppressed. Yeah. That, like, that's the contextualization of For theology. Sure. And I think black liberation theology and Latin American liberation theology and now the rise in budding um, Asian American liberation theology and feminism. Um, I think all of those are very different contexts yeah. and I don't think we should do comparative suffering. No, absolutely not. Black liberation. It's okay for you to be doing your own thing. Very Correct. different from feminists. And it's okay for y'all to use the same language and yet still come to very different conclusions because for sure. your context and your experience with the divine is very different yep. in the same way that is person environment theory in the same way. 
I think it's okay for black liberation theologians to have conversations critiquing white evangelicalism. However, I think it's my job as someone who grew up in white evangelicalism, who actually has contextualized that theology Mm -hmm. to rise up and say, this is garbage. We've got to fix it. Yep. That's my job. The contextualization of theology actually matters. And so because of that, I think it's okay for them to interpret different things. Now I will say, I'm really not totally comfortable with like resurrection being just kind of a spiritual thing. I actually think that's quite problematic. Extremely. Um, for lots of reasons. But um, this is what she says. She says, and so I found myself dissatisfied with both sweeping literalism on the one hand and disembodied abstractions from the other. What do I always tell you? That if you find yourself in places of extreme, you're, you're probably too far. Yeah. Um, as an Enneagram 6, I naturally am uncomfortable with extremes. Yeah. Um, and so when she was talking about this, um, that she was dissatisfied with both, kind of hit. Because I was like, yeah, no, I feel that. Um, The extreme liberalism that the first guy presents um, that is extremely problematic um, made me uncomfortable because it's it's going in a lane that Paul was clearly talking, speaking against. Um, And then the other side, when you start looking at like the fundamentalist thing, um, where everything in the Bible is extremely, extremely literal, neither of those are helpful and both extremely harmful to the individual. Mm -hmm. So Rachel continues and she goes on to tell three unique stories uh, where Jesus heals someone. And I'm not going to get into them right now for strictly time's sake. I mean, we've only got like seven minutes left. This is what she says. In all three stories, the point isn't just that Jesus healed these people. Notice. She said the point isn't that Jesus just healed them. Mm -hmm. She's not questioning whether or not Jesus healed them. She's pointing out that maybe the story is telling me something greater than just that truth. Sure. The point is that Jesus touched these Mm. people. He embraced them just as he embraced other disciples disparaged members of society often regarded as sinners by the religious and political elite prostitutes tax collectors samaritans gentiles the sick the blind and the deaf you've heard me preach some of these passages and i always highlight the fact that jesus touches them because when he touches them according to the law he makes himself unclean right i can't preach right now i don't have time (laughs) all right i'm not gonna preach right now all right. What's what's the beauty of Christianity, Clayton? Jesus. Okay. What's the Okay. 
if the gospel were going to be offensive to someone, mm. what makes it offensive? The fact that it tells a, a story and a narrative that um, says you can't just be comfortable in your own little bubble and look out for yourself. Oh, okay. It does. Yeah, it does say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's good. So, what she says, and you've heard me say this before as well. The apostles remembered what many what many modern Christians tend to forget that what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> who does the gospel let in that would be offensive, Clayton? Who does the gospel let in that would be offensive? Mm-hmm. The poor, oppressed, vulnerable people. Um, Give me one specifically that would be like cringeworthy to mm. a, a boomer. The adulterous woman. Oh, okay. Give me a biblical example. Um, oh, 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 sorry. Does that know what you're looking for? No, I but, mean, like, who, I mean, if you were going to point at today's society and go, that's the most offensive category oh. of person that the gospel could let in. So, okay. So now we're having a conversation about bias. But for me, like, I, and what I would think the most offensive person that the gospel would let in would probably be like a pedophile. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I didn't even think about to like that. the you're to right. the boomer. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you're probably right. Um which is real interesting cuz Mary would have been like 12, 13 uh when <laughs> she had Jesus. So. Yeah. And which is a different conversation that we need to have at, at a different time. Agreed. But but yeah, that's the that's the one. Um, yeah, I think you're probably right. I do think do you think the gospel lets that person in? Absolutely. Because no question, <laughs> no question. I went to bat for a guy, a church that I worked on at that was on probation mm-hmm. or he's on parole, actually on parole for being a pedophile. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I had to go to the board. I'm like, he should be allowed to come to church. Yeah. Like, this is stupid. Like, I, I do you not read the same book I read? Yeah. This is ridiculously dumb. Yeah. Why are, why is this even an issue? Yeah. Because do you not believe that Jesus loves this man the same way that he loves you? No. That is their answer. No, I no, don't. I yeah. believe that Jesus loves that person less, which is real messed up. It, but it's BS. We have to keep going. We do have to keep going. This is what she says. So what does this mean for a perpetual skeptic like me, someone who isn't certain any of these miracles actually happened? I like how Dallas Willard put it. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. So perhaps a better question than do I believe in miracles is, am I acting like I do? Hmm. That's a hard one. What? Am I acting like I believe in miracles? Because we don't see like these kinds of miracles every day, if ever. Nope. 
I've um, never seen one. Yeah. I've never seen a miracle like that. Um, I've seen God, what I would say, miraculously and divinely at work. Sure. Um, but I've never seen this kind of miracle. Absolutely not. Um, but I heard a story on a podcast the other day. A guy worked, he was a chaplain um, for like a halfway house for like 40 years, his career. And all day, every day, he spent praying for these people that were strung out and had health problems and family problems, relationship problems, addiction problems. Spent 40 years every day, all day, praying with these people. And he said, twice, I got to see God do a miracle. And somebody looked at him and goes, so you gave 40 years of your life to see it twice? Mm. Like those odds aren't that great. And he goes, yeah, but I got to see it twice. How many times have you seen it? I think there really is something to living your life, acting like you believe in miracles. Thanks for listening to the Practicing Presence podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.